All right, so we are talking this morning about generosity. So we're in our Down to Earth series. Uh, we're talking about generosity. And um, I know that this can sometimes be a uh, difficult conversation to have. So my goal this morning is to talk with you about what the Bible has to say about what we should be doing as Christians. And I don't want us to ever feel like it's what we should be doing. I feel like it's what we get to do because we're believers in Christ. Um, And so I will probably offend everyone, no matter where you are on the continuum of giving in churches and what you believe about it. Um, So just know I'm going to be an equal opportunity agitator this morning, an equal opportunity offender. I was told this week that my spiritual gift is the gift of agitation, uh, which I feel like I'm hitting pretty well the last couple of uh, weeks. I've talked about racial issues, which are tense in our world. Uh, We've talked about politics. Let's talk about money this morning, okay? So uh, we're going to we're going to come at this from the perspective of what does God want us to do with what we've been given, okay? And I, I believe I want to start with the concept that um, there's a kingdom principle of generosity that I want to kind of start with or talk about, um, and that generosity is for sure more than money, okay? Generosity is for sure more than money. It's your time, your talents, um, your resources, your the things that you own. Uh, it is your money. But this morning, I want to focus on talking about how we handle our money and how that factors into generosity for the regular believer. So uh, if you'd like to hear more about those other topics, you can go to last fall. We did a generosity series in November as well. I talked about most of those other topics. Uh, Today, I want to talk about our finances. Um, And I want to give you a couple of things before we get started. One is I'm not fundraising, okay? I'm not talking about this because we have a need. We have everything we need. We always talk about the fact that our church is incredibly generous. We always talk about the fact that we are making our budget every single week. Um, I'll be honest with you, we are changing our budget this year uh, by about $40,000. It's about a 20% increase. And some of those things are uh, really about us growing up as a church, right? An office cost us a little bit more. We've added staff and hours to a couple of our main uh, staffing positions. We've added a whole staff position. We've added hours and change the rates that people were, we're also paying now um, uh, social security tax for our employees so they don't have to do their taxes on their own at the end of the year. Um, some of these things are just what it costs to be a church uh, right up on its second year anniversary, which by the way, the 11th is our two year anniversary for those of you who have been here the whole time. That's pretty fun, right? Yeah. So Shane's, Shane's giving me a woo back behind the camera. Um, So we, Yes, we're increasing our budget by $40,000 this year. It's not because we are trying to be extravagant. Um, It's because we're growing up as a church, to be honest with you. Um, There's a lot of things happening behind the scenes. There's, we're working on a leadership team that will grow into an elder board. We're working on um, our, uh, our own, right now we've, we've affirmed the, the theological position of our denomination, Converge, but we're working on our own theological statement. We're working on our own um, bylaws, constitution, these are all things in the next couple of years that we'll get figured out before we become a, a, a real church. We won't be a church plant anymore. We'll just be a church, which is a pretty fun transition to make. Uh, and so I want you to know, yes, we're growing up. We're changing our budget a little bit this year, but I'm not fundraising this morning. This is not my goal with what we're talking about. I just want to be transparent with everyone all the time about uh, where we're at as a church, okay? And so, yes, our budget's gone up by $40,000 this year. That's $3,600 a month. That sounds like a lot, but you know what? I've seen God come through every single step of the way, and I have no fear that he will continue to do that again. I can also would love to report to you that we have over $30,000 in our church planting fund, so we're ready right now to plant a church. If we were able to find a church planner and a church to partner with us, we're ready to go there already. I can also tell you we have about um, a cushion of about five to six months in our savings account. So um, with the overages that we had this year, with how, how much God blessed us this year, we can cover the entire 40000 for this year without anyone giving any more money this year. Okay, so I just want you to know I'm not fundraising. That's not my goal with talking about this. Um, so there's, there's that. I want to also say this sermon, I'm going to give you some principles. These are, when you talk about generosity and you talk about money, there, it is a tension to be managed. Okay, I'm going to give you different principles that sometimes if you were to go all in on one of these principles, you would still be out of bounds. Okay, But because there are all these principles in Scripture, we manage these tensions. We don't solve exactly uh, this. And for those of you who are type A or you want a formula, 
you are not going to be happy with what I'm going to talk about today because I'm not going to give you a formula. I know there are a lot of churches out there who would say, you know what you do? You, you take your take-home pay, you take 10% out, you give it to your church, that's a tithe, that's what you do. Um, I will say Jesus affirmed a tithe. He, he assumed a tithe in a lot of the things he talked about. Um, but a tithe has a lot more to do with than just being a 10% gift. And to be honest with you, a lot of people will start at uh, 10% and never grow in that in their entire lifetime. So I don't like percentages. I don't want to talk about percentages. I want to talk about your heart. I want to talk about where you are with Jesus and how you make the decisions uh, that you make. And so it's a tension to be managed. All right. And I want to encourage every person, no matter where you are on the continuum, uh, to take a step. Um, And lastly, some of these steps that you may decide to take could be life-changing steps that might take a long time. Uh, For instance, if you were in a significant amount of debt and you decided you needed to pay off your credit card debt, for instance, so that you could be more generous to your church, I mean, that could be a couple-year process before you get to a point where you're able to really see the fruition of that. I wouldn't tell you to stop giving while you're paying off that or to do one or the other exclusively, but it would affect your ability to be generous and would take time. And by the way, if you're in a situation like that, we'd love to help you. We have people in our church who are financial advisors who would love to sit down and help you with the budget, help you with figuring that stuff out. Uh, would be great people to get information like that from. Uh, it won't be me because, you know, I'm just like everybody else, right? It'll be somebody smarter than me. Um, and I want to start by saying today our kingdom principle is that we should live sufficiently so that we can give extravagantly. So for you, live sufficiently so that you can give extravagantly. And I know talking to a church full of people all over the continuum and us being a young church and a lot of people being new believers or believers that have never really been connected in a church and this is sort of one of your first experiences, we have people all over the continuum. So we have uh, people, all kinds of givers, okay? You could be someone who's not giving at all. And so then I would have a step for you to maybe begin giving to your church. Uh, You could be someone who's what I would call a tipper, somebody who gives what's in their pocket when they show up at church. Or uh, this is why some churches take their offering at the end of service because people go, well, that was a good service. I guess I'll I'll tip because it was good. It was a good... Nope. Okay. Uh, so some people could be not giving. Some people could be, could be tipping. Some people could be giving, but they could be very comfortably doing it. They just throw on, hey, you know what? I'm just going to give, uh, you know, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks a month. And for them, it's very comfortable. They just let it run in the background. They don't think about it. They don't feel it. It's a, for them, it's not a heart level decision to do it. Um, we have some people that are giving significantly, like giving uh, for them what is a significant amount. We have people that are tithing, giving a 10%, a full 10% of everything that comes in uh, for them. We have people that are giving sacrificially over that tithe. I know uh, a couple people that it's their spiritual gift to to give sacrificially, and you would never know it in a million years. They've shared it with me personally, and um, I'm thankful for those people. We have, Even I've heard of, I know Rick Warren is a famous pastor who wrote a bunch of books, and as soon as he made uh, uh he made enough money on his books. He basically said, I'm going to live the rest of my life reverse tithing. So he actually paid back his church every dollar that he was paid from his entire career and gave 90% of all the money that came in from all of his books and everything that he was doing back to his church and lived on 10%, a reverse tithe. Yes, there are people like that that are just amazing. Those people are incredible. Um, you could be anywhere on this list and I want you to feel no shame and I want you to understand that there's a way for you to take a step forward. Okay, when we talk about this, we don't want this to be an emotional appeal. Uh, We don't want this to be uh, a shameful conversation. Like you're you're bad for being where you are. You're not. You are where you are, and you can take a step no matter where you are. I mean, I guess Rick Warren could still take a step, right? I mean, he could probably live on ninety-one or a nine percent instead of ten. It's really what God is doing in your heart and what He's calling you to do. And I want to see our church grow. And I believe this is an area of discipleship. Okay? Now, a lot of people don't want to talk about this. They act like it's not uh, an issue of discipleship. They have kind of stress around the idea um, of giving, and I don't want us to ever feel any of that. We don't pitch hard during our offerings. We don't push people to do anything that's emotional. We are always asking you in your relationship with God to have that conversation about, God, is there more that you want me to do? 
Is this, am I doing what you've called me to do? Is this uh, affecting my relationship with you in one way or another? Is there somewhere else that I can go or do? And sometimes I think we uh, kind of want to hold this area back. In fact, I have found in my personal you know, time in ministry that the wallet is the last place to be discipled for almost every disciple. Okay, so just, I want you to consider that. The wallet is the last place to be discipled. And in fact, I've seen people, known people, who have really struggled in this area, and they've said, I'll give Jesus anything. I'll go anywhere. I'll do whatever he wants. But I can't find myself disciplined enough to give in a way that I believe he's called me to give or to give sacrificially. And I've seen people feel shame around that. And I want you to know it's not the kind of church we are. We're just going to talk about it. We're going to open it up. I'm going to tell you what God has to say about it. I'm going to let you have this conversation with God for yourself. And I want to start with this idea that everything comes from God. Okay, this is a scriptural concept. And essentially, when we look at the world through the lens of the Bible, which is what we do here, we, are, we have a high value of scripture. We hold that up as our standard. We see that God created everything and he put us in the world to be stewards of what he created, right? We see Adam and Eve in the garden. They were put there. They were told to take care of it. Take care of my creation. I want you to make it better. I want you to tend to it. I want you to take what I've created, and I want you to steward it to a better, more healthy, more amazing uh, place. Stewarding means to take care of something for someone at its most basic uh, idea. And I'm going to give you a couple concepts about stewardship. It's not going to be on screen. So you might want to take some notes, and I think these are kind of brilliant. Uh, they didn't come out of my head. I, I, another pastor led me down the road of this. By the way, most of the stuff I'm talking about is from other brilliant pastors who have influenced me over the years. J.D. Greer is one at the Summit Church in North Carolina um, who has made me think differently about stewardship. Um, anyway, so we're talking about stewardship, right? We're talking about four things, okay? Ownership. Okay, you're asking the question, who owns everything? Who owns what I have? Who owns what's been given to me to steward? Responsibility. What does responsibility look like with the things that God has given me? Accountability, right? The fact that someday I will give an account on how I stewarded the things that God gave me. Okay? And reward. That faithful servants are promised rewards. Right? And we see this in, all of this is in the uh, parable of the talents where Jesus uh, you know, gives a story of these people who are given something and then the way that they handle it, right? The guy who handles it in an incredible way and makes it even greater, when he, the master comes back, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So God tells us that if we're, we understand that he is the one that owns everything, the ownership, he understands that we've been given responsibility over the things that he owns, right? Our responsibility. We're going to be held accountable with how we deal with the things that he has given us and that we'll be rewarded and potentially given more to deal with when we handle things in his way. This is what it looks like to be a steward, okay? And we are stewards of everything. We're stewards, yes, of our money, but also of our talents, our possessions, our influence, our kids, right? We, we talk about when we're, um, you know, uh, dedicating our children together. We talk about being stewards of the children that God has given us. Everything we have is a gift from God, and it's something we've been asked to steward, to invest, to make even better. Okay, So money, talents, possessions, influence, kids, just name something that you have uh, dominion over, and that thing you have been called to steward. It's not just your money. It's all of this stuff. It's everything God has created and given to you and given you uh, dominion over. But why do we believe that everything else is God's, but not our money, right? Some of us, we struggle in this area. We believe our kids are God's, that we're called to steward them. We believe our influence is God's. We believe our talents are God's. We're going to use those talents to serve him and his church. We believe our possessions are God's. We give away our houses and our cars and our, our cabins, and we, let, you know, we use them for ministry, and we, we try to honor God with everything we have. But at the end of the day, when we talk about actually giving money, we hold it tightly and we say, this is mine, okay? And I believe that's pretty common for us as Americans to really not feel that joy in releasing generously what God has given us. And we find that in many other ways, but sometimes not when it comes to our finances. 
So why do we believe that? Well, our money is connected a lot of times to a couple of, uh, of S's, okay? First one is significance, right? We get significance through our money. Um, for us, that is a way to measure if we've been successful and a way to measure our identity and who we are. Uh, it allows people to see us as being successful, and so we're afraid to give that thing away. Or we won't let go of it or believe that God's in control of it because we're worried about our security, right? We, we are afraid of what might happen. We want to store away. You know, one of the conversations I had with our uh, finance team this year is like, hey, we've got five or six months of savings put away to take care of the church if there's ever a problem or we ever have an issue. I want to spend or give away every dollar that comes in this year. I want to make sure every dollar that comes in this year does not con- not get hoarded into a savings account, but gets used for kingdom ministry. I want you guys to know we raised our budget to 300000 and if you bring in $350,000, i am giving $50,000 away to our community. That's how we're going to do things at our church. We're not going to be afraid. We're not going to allow our security to come from uh, money. And then lastly is this idea of scarcity. Sometimes we hoard or we want to hold on to or we're afraid to let go of because we think that there's a scarcity of this. And I want you to know you serve a God of abundance who creates everything, who owns everything, who has everything. And when you operate in a place of scarcity, in a way you are saying, God, you're not big enough to handle this and I don't trust you in this area. And that is, couldn't be further from the truth. God calls us to have faith. And you know what God blesses? Not what we give, but the faith that we use to give the things that we give, right? It's the faith behind us saying, I want to support this ministry, or I want to support this church, or I want to support what's going on over here, or use these funds to make a difference for God's kingdom. And when we do that, it's our faith that we're putting into action. It's not the gift. It's not the amount. It's not the money. It's our faith that God blesses. This will not be a health and wealth gospel sermon, okay? So... We'll get to that in a minute, but when it comes to giving, it's not the gift that God blesses, it's the faith. So the question is, do you believe that everything you have is his, and how would that change the way that you handle it if you really, truly, 100% believed it? Not, I believe everything I have is mine, and I'm going to give back some of it to God. It's, I believe 100% of what I have is God's, and I'm going to keep some of it and give the rest of it to his ministry, right? These are two different uh, worldviews. And I know that you understand this. Like, let's just say you borrowed somebody's car, okay? Let's say your car went in the shop, and you need to borrow someone's car for a couple days, okay? I know, good Minnesotans, this is what we would do, okay? We would get someone's car, and if it, was, if it needed a good vacuum, we'd vacuum it out. If it needed a car wash, we'd wash it. If it needed gas, we'd fill it up. We'd probably make sure that all the levels were topped off before we took it back. We would do everything we could to steward someone's car while we were borrowing it so that when we gave it back to them, it was in better condition than when we took it away. I know you, Minnesotans, you do that, right? By the way, anyone can borrow my car. It needs a good cleaning and a good washing. There's probably some McDonald's trash in there that you could throw away from me. Like, you know you do that. And yet, somehow, we don't see the stuff that we have, what we have as gods. We don't see ourselves as stewards who are taking care of or using or leveraging the things that God has given us for his kingdom, for his ministry, for his mission. Okay, so let me get to some scripture here. Uh, I want to show you James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Everything you have, okay, is from God. Everything comes from God. James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. We studied James last year, um, did a sermon on this. You can go back and find the entire sermon in our sermon catalog. Uh, This is what it says. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, okay? Does it come from within? It doesn't come outside of you. It comes from above. Everything God gives you is from him. He gives it to you so that you can steward it for his kingdom, for his mission, for his church, for his people. This is what he's calling you to do. And it says it comes down from the father of heavenly lights, In other parts of scripture, when it talks about this, it talks about how good God is, how he created everything to be amazing, and how he wants us to continue in that goodness, to continue in using his gifts for his will, for his kingdom, for his mission, for his church. 
He's given us everything we have. It all comes from him. And we are stewards. We are stewards of what he has given us. So you've got to start with this idea that everything comes from God. Okay? Second idea. Jesus modeled being generous as an all-in proposition. When we think, when we see everything coming from God, and then we see what Jesus did in his generosity, we see an all-in kind of proposition, okay? So we see everything we have is from God, we're stewards of that, and then Jesus says, hey, let me show you what it looks like to do this. It's an all-in kind of thing. It's not a 10% kind of thing. It's not a do a little bit, you know, give a little bit back. It's a, I'm expecting you to leverage all of this. This is what it says about Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be in mostly here for the next couple of points in chapters 8 and 9, 2 Corinthians. You can go back and look at it. The context is pretty pretty simple. Um, Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians. He's raising money for the church in Jerusalem, and so he's talking to them about an offering that they might give to the church in Jerusalem that is really struggling. They're ha- in the middle of a famine, and so the church there is really having a hard time, and it's all these other churches throughout Asia uh, and throughout different parts of the world that are putting together offerings Uh, They're struggling themselves. They're having a hard time. They're going through things, but they're taking an offering uh, out of the generosity of of their hearts, and they're sending it forward to Jerusalem to take care of the church there. And Paul's going around and collecting all of this money from all of these places and taking it back to to the church there, and he's trying to provide for them. And this is what it says. is He's talking about generosity in this section. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, okay, that though he had everything. He owned it all. It was all his. He could have done anything he wanted with it. Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And I, just take a step back for a second. Jesus couldn't give 10% to solve the problem that he was being generous around. He couldn't just spill 10% of his blood on a cross. He couldn't just give 10% of his body in the way that he came to be generous. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is God's tithe. That God gave the first and the best for humanity to solve the problem that we have. And that Jesus gave 100% of himself to show us what generosity looks like. I, I have to laugh when people take giving and they, you know, take it down to this idea of just give 10%. Because if you go into the Old Testament and you look at what people gave, they generally were giving close to 30%. They gave a tithe and then a special offering and then every couple of years another offering. And they were giving generally 30% of everything that they had for the temple, for God's mission, for the people around them that were in need. You move to the New Testament and you see givers there, they, in Acts, I mean, just go read Acts, like they are selling their fields and laying the money at the feet of the disciples saying, use this for the kingdom of God. They are doing things that are irrational. They're doing things that seem just um, unbelievable because they're willing to sacrifice anything they have uh, to give to the mission that God has called them to. And I need to stop for a second and say, like, I did a deep dive on our giving at our church. And basically the way things break down, and we're a young church, so we're going to have some of these kinds of things happening, but about 60% of our church carries the complete weight of the financial burden of what us accomplishing God's mission here where God has called us to be. There, 60% of us basically carry the full weight. The rest of people, the rest of the 40% of people that give to our church give very sporadically and give very uh, small amounts here and there, just a little bit at a time. And I know that what God has given us as a church is, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm blown away by what the 60% have done to accomplish God's plan at our church and to give in incredible ways. But also the discipleship person in me wants to say to the other 40%, it, this isn't an issue of uh, be obedient because God has called you to be obedient. It's an issue of you might be missing out on what God wants to do through you and through what he has given you. I, I, mean, I would love for our church, no matter what the gifts are, no matter how sporadic they are, for us to be 100% invested in giving something to the mission of God 
here at Pursuit. And I've talked with people in all kinds of different situations. People who have lost jobs, people who have, you know, uh, been in, in tough spots, people who, you know, basically come and told me, hey, I can't give to the church at all because I support 30 orphans in Africa. You know, I'm not trying to tell you you have to, but you should probably ask God if he wants you to give to your local church in some way, in some way. And that's a step. That's a step for some people, right? To say, um, I'm either going to begin giving because I don't give at all, or I'm going to begin giving regularly. I'm going to schedule my gift. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to ask God to show me what it looks like. And then for you to join the other 60%. And can I tell you, there are people in our church, families in our church, uh, couples in our church that have given $30,000, $40,000, $50,000, dollars $60,000 to our church. Um, and I know God has got everything we need. I'm not worried about where the bottom line is going to come from. When we started this church, they said, you can't possibly get a church up this quickly. Because here's why. First of all, you've got to go raise $50,000 a year to be able to get yourself in a place where you can start your church. Do you want to know how we did that? I made one phone call to one person, and they gave us $50,000 a year for the first three years of our church. God's got everything we need. It's not dependent on you to cover the bills. That's not what we're talking about. It's something that you get from being part of the mission of God and entering into this conversation of discipleship and saying, you know, every other part of my life might be discipled to where God wants me to be discipled, but this area is one that I haven't really opened up to a conversation with God and said, what do you want me to do? And by the way, I'm not going to be the pastor that tells you, give a percentage. I'm going to tell you to seek the Lord. I'm going to give you some, some handles at the end to help you have that conversation. But Jesus modeled being all in as a generosity. Jesus gave everything. He didn't give a tithe. He didn't give just significantly or even a reverse tithe. He gave everything for us before any of us ever could have got our act together, earned it in any way. It says he died for us while we were still sinners. While we were still willing to spit in his face and hang him on a cross, he decided to go and give 100% for us. You can't match Jesus' generosity. You just can't. That's our example as Christians. What does it look like for us to take that model of generosity and continue to grow in that over our lifetime? You you may only be able to give a little bit now, but in five years it could be more, and in 10 more, and in 20 more. And as your lifestyle changes, as things happen, I mean, I talk a lot to people who have, you know, all of a sudden they're empty nesters. All of a sudden their investments change. All of a sudden, and they find themselves in a place where they can give more and more and more and find joy in that. This is something that we can grow in and try to take Jesus' example as what we are looking at. 100% is what Jesus gave for us. That's the model of generosity in our church. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9. Okay? This is the uh, same section of Scripture, you know, same two chapters. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Right? So it says... Those of you who are farmers, which of course, as Paul's talking about this, they're all, they're all farm. I mean, they all grow food. They all know how to farm. They all know about farming. So he says, hey, if you have a lot of seed, you spread a lot of seed, you get a lot of crops. And if you keep spreading more seed, you get more crops. And if you continue to do this, you continue to have more seed, you continue to have more crops. This is good. This is a good cycle that you get into. Um, but he says, but I want you to know when it comes to kingdom, Right? He who supplies seed to the sower, so he's the one who gave you what you're investing, and bread will also supply and increase your store of seed. And when Jesus increases what we have, gives us more to handle, okay, it's not so that we can enrich ourselves, it's that we can be more extravagant in our giving. The farmer goes out and spreads all the seed and invests it all. And then later on, he is going to take a harvest of that, and he's going to give more away, because he still needs the same amount, even though God has increased what he has available, okay? This is not a health and wealth gospel sermon. I'm not telling you that Jesus wants to make you wealthy and he wants to make you healthy, okay? In fact, I think we see something exactly the opposite in Scripture. It says all the time that we're going to run into hardship, that we're going to deal with all kinds of difficulty, that there might be people against us. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in situations that we don't always love to be in. This is the way of a disciple, okay? This is the way. That's the Mandalorian reference. Just me. Okay. But he says, but I want you to understand, I'm going to continue to give you more so that you can continue 
to invest more. Look what it says in the next verse. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So he says, you're going to get more seed to spread so that you can get more of a harvest so that you can be more generous to God's kingdom. And the same concept earlier to the one who is being generous and the one that God is trusting with a little, he continues to give more and more and to see your generosity grow. You know, and I, look, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. I've had this conversation with many, many people and they say, you know, hey, I'm in college right now. I can't, can't really give. Or, hey, you know, I'm single. I'm saving for something. Or, hey, I got a lot of school debt. Or, you know, we just got married. We're not really sure what we're supposed to be doing. And in fact, I've, I've sat with premarital couples where they have two different ideas of what giving looks like. And that's a, that's kind of a struggle in your marriage to come up with the same, you know, way of handling this topic and to really talk it through. It's one of those things that I really do talk with uh, couples as they are working together, getting ready for marriage. No matter where you are, whatever you've been given, you can invest that. You can reap a harvest and then you can give generously from that harvest. And it might look like a little for you and a little might be all that we're talking about. But it's still something that between your, your relationship with God, your heart in what you're giving, and the joy that you're receiving from that is something that's going to grow you as a disciple. Let me show you again. I'm going to go forward here a little bit. Jesus modeled being all in as generous as being all in. Okay. So live sufficiently so that you can give extravagantly. The last idea here that I want to touch on uh, is that kingdom-minded people Leverage excess to care for others. Kingdom-minded people leverage excess to care for others. So as God gives you more, and as you harvest more, you are now have an opportunity to use that extra to continue to be more generous, get closer to the example that Jesus has given us. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 8.14. Again, in the same section, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Um, this is what Paul says to the church in Corinth as he's taking the offering that, that needs to go back to Jerusalem. At the present time, your plenty, right? So your excess, what you have extra, will supply what they need so that in turn, your plenty will supply, sorry, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And you're like, what is, what is that? What is that? Is that like a, is that like a, it's got quotations around it. What does this mean? What's he, what's he quoting? What is this? Is this like a fairy tale? Is this in some sort of a, like a little book that they gave to Jewish kids about generosity? No, he's quoting uh, Exodus. And he's quoting from a section of time where the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness, okay? And by the way, grumbling every day about this situation. Uh, there was, you know, hundreds of thousands of Israelites moving through the, through the desert. We know what it looks like to try to take care of a gigantic group like that. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, um, fire festival, burning man, whatever, all these festivals. Try multiplying that by like thousands and getting this entire nation of grumbling people. How do you take care of them? Well, God had a way to take care of them. It says he provided something called manna. And you're like, what's manna? What was this like sort of wafery, sweet, tasting sort of snack that was just laying out on the ground every day when they woke up. So God's way of handling the need in the group was to say, let me be the supply for what you need. So every day you're going to wake up and every day there's going to be manna just strewn about. I wish I knew what this looked like. I mean, to be honest with you, like we need the picture Bible to be coming through on this one. Like what in the world was that? What did it look like? How, I mean, my brain starts to put together pictures that like I, I probably, probably couldn't even fathom. And the people would go out and collect the manna from the ground and it would provide sustenance for them uh, all day, you know, to, so that they would, be, they would be well and everyone would be fed. And, you know, that manna was not something you could collect and hoard, right? You couldn't use your humana fridge to get, nope, to get extra. Or some people who are like the people that use every resource they have were going to make manna bread. No, just me. Um, or you're gonna use you were gonna use that manna in some creative way so that you can make it last, you know, for longer. You could collect it and put it in a some sort of a you know wicker chest that you had that you were carrying around. Like, but the thing about the manna is that every evening it's spoiled. 
Okay, so you would get up in the morning and your reliance on God was prevalent. You would go out and collect what you needed. And if there was anything left at the end of the day, it would, it would spoil. And it would spoil rotten. The Bible paints a picture of it smelling and being full of disease and like just disgusting. So nobody took more than what they needed. And if somebody didn't get enough that day, they could just go around and collect it from everybody else who had it because it was going to spoil that night. Everyone shared and everyone had what they needed and God provided for them. And we asked the question, why did God do this? Why did he do this? Why is Paul talking about this? Because God was trying to teach them to rely on him on a daily basis, to not hoard, to not collect it away for some rainy day that, you know, you just don't know what's going to come, but to use it to take care of the entire group, to take care of all of the, the people that were traveling around the wilderness as they were sort of lost out there. And it's the same thing for us. If we're just hoarding what God has given us, if we're just storing it away for when, I don't know, for whenever it comes, we can be totally missing what God is doing. He wants us to be in reliance on him. He wants us to feel that reliance every day. When we wake up, we need to go to him and say, God, I need what you have today. Okay, because I've given away what you've given me to, to be generous to the people around me. Uh, I believe that if we're hoarding, if we're holding it all back, if we're you know, holding on to that in a place of trying to be significant, trying to have, you know, react from our fear that we have or in believing that it will someday end that God won't have what we need, that we're operating from a scarcity mindset, then we could even find ourselves in a place of, of sin. If those Israelites had woken up that morning and took in, taken more of that stuff than they were supposed to, it would spoil on them. I think a lot of us could find our wealth spoiling on us because we're not being generous enough with the things that we are have been given, and kingdom-minded people leverage the excess that we have to care for others. We care about the fact that there are people around us struggling. We care about the fact that there are people that need what we have, and we find ways to be generous and to give those things away. Can I tell you, last month was Pastor Appreciation Month. If you missed it, you missed it, man. Come on. I'm, I'm not, no cards anymore. Sorry. You got to wait till next October. My favorite thing that I received for Pastor Appreciation Month was a card from somebody with a Taco Bell gift card in it. You know that somebody knows me very well, knows uh, what I love, and gave from their excess, leveraged from their excess, to make me feel good, to use it to bless me. Can I just tell you, some of the things that we can leverage and to care for others is like so small. It seems small, but God is telling us to go out and use what we've got, the extra that we have, not for ourselves, not to hoard, but to bless other people. And I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't save. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, uh, you know. I'm saying if you you want to go and read Proverbs, it tells you that you should save. It tells you you should give an inheritance to your grandchildren's grandchildren. Okay. So I'm not telling you it's dumb to save. What I'm telling you is that when you have that excess, you leverage that to care for other people. And I remember being a brand new Christian, uh, 14 years old, I decided to go on a missions trip uh, to the island of Grenada with my church. There were 20 of us getting ready to go uh, to this island, and we were going to be serving at a missions base, and we were going to be doing vacation Bible schools in this very poor town. The thing about those islands, it sounds like, yeah, you go to the Caribbean for a mission trip, sounds pretty great, is that the the areas of t- tourism were beautiful. They were incredible. The, the, you know, all the places that you'd want to go and get a daiquiri and sit on the beach, those are gorgeous. But the rest of the interior of the island was just straight poverty, right? The, it was homes with little tin roofs and no running water. And, you know, you'd be doing vacation Bible schools in these little country churches um, where, you know, you'd have kids running around with no shoes on and you'd just be you know, in this, in the element of the, the people. Well, when I was 14, I decided I want to go on this trip, and the trip cost like $1,800 to go. It was, we were going to be gone for a whole month, so it was like four weeks of being away, and it cost a certain amount per week, plus airfare was expensive back then, and so $1,800, and I was like, I'm just going to trust God. I think God's going to give me what I need, so I got together with my parents, and we made a list, and we sent letters out to all the people that we have in our family, and you know, we, we hadn't really been, I hadn't really been a Christian very long, 
So I didn't have a whole Rolodex of people in my church to call and ask for money. Um, I didn't have a lot of Christian relationships where I had some family members. So we sent those out and the money started to roll in from the family members. And I found myself getting to a place where I had about $1,300 out of the $1,800. And it was just like, I don't know what to do. I'm like 14 years old. I can't make $500 in the few months that I had. I wasn't sure. Um, but I just kept going forward. I just said, all right, I'm going to go forward as if this money's coming in. And I went. We did a week-long camp to get ready to go on the trip. And even when I went to the camp, I was a few hundred dollars short from making the $1,800. And you know, there was somebody in that church uh, that I was had accepted Jesus in, was starting to become a believer, was wanting to go on this mission trip, who right before we went on the trip, asked what the, the deficit was for every kid on the team and paid off the complete deficit for all the kids on the team. Are you telling me that that person didn't receive incredible joy from leveraging their excess to take care of other people? That's what is at stake when we talk about generosity. It's you saying, I want to get in a position to give away as much as I possibly can to care for the people around me and to do what God has called me to do. I mean, we got back and we did a, a Sunday morning at the church where we did skits. You know, that's kind of an old thing to do. Uh, we did the worship. I actually uh, preached. 16, 17-year-old kid. Actually, it wasn't that Sunday I preached. It was a couple years later. Sorry. Uh, I did the worship team. I hope there's no video of me singing on stage. Um, and you know that person that gave all that money and took care of all those kids who had extra funds that needed to be, can you imagine what they were feeling when they saw the change that it made in the lives of the people that they had blessed? That, that's what we're talking about. Kingdom-minded people leverage their excess to care for other people. Okay, so great. I made a biblical case for why we should be seeing everything as God's, why we should be giving in a generous way, why we should be leveraging our excess, why we should be following Jesus' model. The question is how. How do we give? And uh, I want to show you what this looks like, okay? So 2 Corinthians 9, 7. This is, if there's one verse that explains giving methodically to our church, this is the one that I want to go back to and go back to and go back to. I shared it with you last fall. I'm sharing it with you now. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you, okay, everyone in our church, should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Okay? should not listen to your pastor about what percentage it is that you should give, should go and have a conversation with God and should decide ahead of time what it is that you've been called to do with what you've been given. Okay, Jesus seems to affirm a tithe, and a tithe is a great place for people to, you know, to start. And I think that sounds crazy to some people, like a tithe would be this gigantic, horrible, awful thing that you'd never be able to figure out. I will guarantee you that if you tried to tithe for a few months you'd never look back. I guarantee you that that would be a thing that would happen in your life. And if if you want to, test it. Jesus actually says when you want to give, test it. Like, you can test me in this area. Don't test me in other places, but when it comes to actually giving at, a, uh, at this sort of a high standard, go ahead and test me and see what I do for you. Okay? So you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, whether it's $5 or whether it's $500 or whether it's $1,000, whatever it is. You should decide ahead. You should have this conversation with Jesus. You should allow him to define what this looks like for you. And it says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not because your pastor has a way of making you feel emotional about it, not because I'm trying to, to make you feel guilty or to bring shame into the, to, it's because of what it does for you as you leverage what you've been given for God's kingdom. This is discipleship, okay? Somehow, churches, we get in trouble for talking about this area of discipleship, but we can talk about worship all day long, and we can talk about reading your Bible all day long, and we can talk about, you know, uh, protecting yourself from pornography all day long. We can talk, talk about, you know, not gossiping all day long, but when we start talking about money, everyone rolls their eyes and says, oh, the church is talking about money again. We're not. We're talking about discipleship here. What does it look like for you to give what you decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not because someone made an emotional pitch, not because you were given a formula and told to go figure out a number, but, but because Jesus has laid it on your heart. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver, a giver who has joy when they give it. 
if you don't feel joy every single time that hits your bank account or that you click the button or that you write the check or that you give it, please don't give it. We don't want gifts that are given under compulsion or gifts that are given without joy. What I, I want you to know is I think you're missing out on something when that happens. Because God has said, I have given you everything so that you can leverage it for my kingdom, for my mission, for my church, for my people. That's our goal as a church is to leverage everything we have for God's kingdom, his mission, his people. We tithe as a church. In fact, we go way over our tithe. We start at a tithe and we give way more as a church. Okay, Everything we've given to Haiti Connection has been above and beyond our tithe. Our tithe, what we start with, are the 10% that we give, 2% goes to Ralph Reader, 2% goes to the uh, the um, Quincy House. We give uh, 6% or 5, 6% to our church planning efforts, which will someday materialize both internationally and domestically. Okay, so there's going to be two avenues that we give to our church planning efforts. And we give 1% back to our denomination as a gift because we believe the denomination is doing great work. Okay. And then we give to Haiti Connection, to uh, all kinds of other ministries that we that come along, that we find ways to connect with. And so generally in a year, we're giving much more than 10%. Uh, and that's a starting point for us as an organization. Okay, so just so you know, that's a starting point for us as an organization. And look what it says, uh, chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So he's able to give you everything you need to... Do what he's asking you to do. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Jesus has given you everything so that you can give generously back to his mission, his church, his people, make him famous. So a couple last thoughts on giving. See it all as God's. Everything you have is God's. Everything you got, 100% of it, it's God's. Now what are you going to do with what God has given you? How are you going to steward what God has given you? Give your first and your best. This is what God did when he gave Jesus. He gave his first and his best. This is talked about in the Old Testament over and over and over as the Israelites gave offerings to God that they would give their first and their best. There's actually a crazy thing that God trained Israel to do where when they had an animal that began to... um, when they had an animal that began to have offspring, okay, if it was a clean animal, they would actually uh, sacrifice the firstborn to God, right, on an altar as an offering, right? They would say, we don't know if this animal is going to continue to produce offspring, but we're going to take the first and the best, and we're going to sacrifice this to God. And if it was a clean animal, that's what they did. If it was an unclean animal, they would actually um, allow you, uh, the, the rules that God had given them was to redeem the firstborn of an unclean animal by sacrificing a clean animal to God. And you know what God was teaching the Israelites then? He was saying, those of you who are unclean are going to be redeemed by the sacrifice of a clean animal. Do you know what the clean animal that they usually use to redeem the unclean was? A lamb. Do you understand that this is all connected back to the gospel? That that Old Testament method of redeeming and giving away the first and giving away the best was connected back to Jesus, who was the first and who was the best, who redeemed all of us who were born unclean. Right? It was the clean who was sacrificed to make the unclean clean. Just let that blow your mind for a second. So give your first and your best. Don't pay your mortgage before you give to what God is doing. Give it first Give your best. Decide ahead what generosity looks like for you. There is, no, there is no formula. I can't give you a formula that says, do this and you will be great. In fact, I think you should continue to grow no matter where you are in your journey in giving and in generosity. So even if you are giving a full tithe and you've been doing it for 15 years, well, maybe it's time to take another step. Maybe God's blessed you in those last 15 years and maybe it's time for you to do more. But decide ahead what generosity looks like for you in your relationship with Jesus. Give with joy. Please don't give anything to this church unless you're giving it with joy. This is what we're looking for from people who give to what we're doing. And then grow in generosity. And that was kind of a lot to bite off. But I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, it could be somebody who 
has never given to the church before. Maybe you don't trust the church. Maybe you're having a hard time. Bring yourself to, to release it to what God is doing. Okay? Maybe the step for you is to begin giving. How about those of you who are tipping? It's kind of hard to tip right now because we don't even take an offering. A lot of people would give what was in their pocket. Well, they're not able to do that anymore. What does it look like for you to go from just sort of giving haphazardly to giving because you have worked that out in your relationship with God? What about those of you who are giving very comfortably? It just sort of comes through every month. You don't really think about it. It just happens. You don't have a lot of joy over it. It's not something that you really give a lot of thought to. It's not something that's very hard for you to do. Maybe there's a place for you to grow, okay? How about those of you who are giving significantly? What does it look like for you to take a step and to grow in that? What about those of you who are tithing? Have you been tithing for your entire life and never grown in your generosity? What would that look like for you? People giving sacrificially. I tell you if you're giving sacrificially above that tithe and giving in a way that you feel it every single time you give, maybe go teach someone else how to go down that road with you. You can continue to grow, but you can actually grab some other people and take them down the road with you. Be like, here's what God has done in my life. And if you're reverse tithing, I mean, good for you. Uh, We don't ever want there to be shame around this topic or emotion. I just want to point out to you what the scripture tells us. Um, We're going to talk about discipleship issues because these are kingdom values. Generosity is something that I don't think our entire church has a handle on. I think half of our church, maybe 60% of our church, is got a handle on this because they've been discipled before. And I think a lot of us who are new in this church or have just accepted Jesus or we haven't really figured out what our faith looks like, haven't really figured out what this is and have left this an area of our life that has been undiscipled. And I would encourage you to engage with God. And to say, God, what does it look like to take everything you've given me and to use it for your glory, for your kingdom, for your mission, to support your church and your people? I would love to talk more about this with you personally. If it's something that you struggle with or need some help with or want somebody to talk to or pray about, I am your pastor. I do love you. I will make time for you. Um, And it's something that I care about. This wasn't always easy for me personally. By the way, those of us who struggle with uh, generosity, often we have incredibly generous spouses. So my wife is an incredibly generous person. We'll give you the shirt off her back. We'll give you whatever. We'd love to give more and more and more. It's something I've struggled with and grown in over my time. I'd love to help you do that as well. But this is what it looks like. This is how we think about generosity at this church, and it is a kingdom value. When Jesus prays on earth as it is in heaven, this is what it looks like. Let me pray and close our time this morning. God, thank you for uh, what you have done in our church, bringing us to this point. God, thank you for what you're calling us to do moving forward. Would you continue to move us towards discipleship in every way? In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. See you next week.